can still recall the day when Jesus saved my soul, when his blessed Holy Spirit came and took control. I trusted in his precious blood, my sin to atone, and I started singing. book of Philippians chapter 2 verses uh, 12 through 18, I believe that's kind of, Paul slips into a sentimental mood. Under inspiration though, God still uses the person. God uses the personality of the Peter in his inspired writings. He uses the personality of John in his inspired writings. He uses the personality of Matthew, the personality of Luke, personality of James. You can tell James James, he was a tough old boy, old camel knees in the church of Jerusalem there. And uh, he still allows the personality of the individual to come through, though it is God, in the, especially with Scripture, of course, God talking. Uh, but you know when you go door to door or when you talk to people in the store or whatever, a lot of times you know that's God talking. I hope you understand. Paul said, as though God did beseech you by us. Be reconciled to God. Now remember what Paul said there. He wasn't talking about inspiration, but he was talking about God working through you. As though I've talked to people sometimes and felt led to tell them, you realize that God's talking to you right now. I said, I'm not God, but his word is coming through me to you, and maybe the only word you're going to hear. You better, you better heed. And uh, I'm, I'm no egotism, no pride at all. Humbled, in fact, the fact. But when you quote, when you go to somebody and say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life, that's God talking. And you're just a mouthpiece. And when you say that to people, talk to them about Jesus, as though God did beseech you by us, be reconciled to God. Paul settles back. He, he loved, man, Paul loved these folks. Paul, uh, maybe more than, maybe other people have done more, given more, suffered more, had more trouble, but I don't know of any in history that suffered. There may have been, but I don't know of any that suffered like Paul for his people. I mean, I say his people, meaning the people that responded to the gospel through him. He was told he was going to, when Jesus appeared to him, he says, I'm going to show you great, how great things you must suffer for my name's sake. Now, when God says the word great, it's beyond anything you and I can put on. But and I don't think Paul understood that. But Paul had caused other people to suffer greatly. Uh, he had uh, contributed to other people's misery because they believe in Jesus. In fact, he called himself the chief of all sinners. He said, I'm the chief of all sinners because I persecuted the church and caused them, some of them even, to be taken to their death. So I don't think anything Paul suffered for Jesus surprised him too much. I think when he was taking his rod, his beaten by rods and, and, and cat nine tails and all that, I think he understood that was just, that was just part of the training program that he would pay. Um, 
And he loved the people, the church at, at Philippi. He loved them. He, uh, in Philippians here, he expresses his personal desire for the church that he helped found. Uh, just before this, though, and I think uh, there's no uh, a text without a context as a pretext. Uh, all you young preachers may want to sure, sure enough get a hold of that. Um, not original with me. In fact, almost nothing's original with me. But uh, Paul, ex Paul expresses to them, but before he does express his heartfelt desire, personal desire for them, he gives the clearest teaching on the incarnation anywhere in the Bible. I think anybody who said the Bible much will agree that Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11 is as clear as any other place in scriptures about how the incarnation the incarnation, you understand, is a mystery. Just because we can somewhat define the incarnation does not mean we understand the incarnation. You know that. Just because you can, you can, you you know you have a motor under your hood, and you know you put gas in it and oil in it, and you know it runs on combustion, does not mean you just explain the combustion engine. And in fact, you know very little about the combustion engine, but you use it all the time. But it's way more complicated. It's got valves and it's got camshafts and it's got all kinds of other stuff going on. And, and you, you know, and you, we don't need to know that, right? And that's the way it is with God a lot of times. We don't need to know all the ins and outs of everything to be able to preach it, be able to talk about it. We can, we can talk about it. Paul, however, explains under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit this passage in chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, which will be a memory verse by Brother Barrows if he hasn't already done it. Uh, it is a diamond of insight. It basically defines uh, who Christ is. Of course, God manifests in the flesh. I say is, not he is, he was, and he is to come. Who is Jesus? He is, he was, and he is to come. The same one mentioned in Revelation, the God that, that is, that was, and is to come. He had no beginning, no ending. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the ending. And it defines that as clear as you can. It defines what he became. He became something that never had happened before, God-man. He became man, and he, became, and he was God, of course, before that, but he took upon him the form of a servant, made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, came obedient unto death, even death at the cross. It's never defined as clear as that anywhere else. He, he also, in that passage, defined what Christ did. He died on the cross for all people that would believe. He, he also defined what his reward was, that he would be highly exalted. His name would be above every other name. And that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, even to God the Father. So he described what his position would be. His, he would be the exalted one and recognize who he is. He's the master of all. But only after explaining all of that does he come to the verses of our text. Now, the, the verses of our text I have preached a couple other sermons on but not like this, and this is uh, not them by any means. I've taken another look at this, and only after explaining this phenomenal doctrinal passage of 5 through 11, he goes and he falls kind of in a con contemplative personal mode with his church, and, and, I, and you could title this message, uh, well, one of the titles for the message is One for All and All for One, that's not original with me either. I think that's the Three Musketeers. How many here 
do not know who the Three Musketeers were, raise your hand. You don't know who the Three Musketeers Everybody know the Three Musketeers? Okay. Um, one for all, they cross their swords, and they say one for all and all for one. That's what we do, you know. And so I could title this, How to Make Your Pastor Real Happy. Not that he isn't sweet already, but he could make your pastor real happy. Now, this passage right here, boy, I mean, whoopee-doo, chapter, verse 12. Let's read it together. Or let me read it. You listen, I should say. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Man, Pastor Crichton, that's the ultimate dream of any pastor, is that when you leave, they do better. Woo! I just almost want to get excited. That when you leave, they do better. In my absence, Paul says, you did better than when I was there. Whoop! Now, brother, if you ever seen a pastor dance, he'll do it. That'll cause a pastor, Baptist preacher to dance a little bit. He'll take his shoes off, start putting them together like that. <clears throat> and you've heard this one over, this next phrase, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, verse 13, it just keeps getting better as it goes. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Wow. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. That's a choice, by the way. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst, in the midst, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We're not... And we cannot hide from these evil folks that we're in. We're supposed to be in the midst of them. We don't hide from them. We don't cocoon. We don't do the Amish thing. We are in the midst of them. We work among them. We shop among them. We drive among them. We do construction of their houses, and, and we're among them. Why? Well, here it tells you why. And by the way, it calls them crooked and perverse. You don't spare no language. Among whom ye shine as lights in the world. <clears throat> That's your function, my function. Ye are the light of the world. Now, if you're not among them, they can't see it. Holding forth the word of life. Everywhere you go, the word of life. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ. There is that personal rejoicing of the pastor. This has something to do with Paul, that I may rejoice, he said. There's nothing that makes a preacher happier than to his people do what's just been said right there. You make a preacher just be happy he ever lived and happy pastor and happy God calling him the ministry. Man, it's, you, you can just make your pastor have a spell. I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, either labor in vain. Now, I, I, now I'm going to say this. That was one of Paul's fears. Paul had some fear. One of his fears was that his work, his labor, his, his beatings would be for nothing. In vain means for nothing. No real fruit. I, I always tell Tom Gillespie, Tom likes more bang for the buck, I always say. You know, I say, he, he, Tom wants to do something. He wants to have some fruit on it. He's a farmer. He wants cows to multiply and have babies. Amen? Two each wouldn't be bad. Man, a farmer, when he puts, when he puts seed in the ground, he wants a hundredfold, man. 
He's looking for that hundredfold reaping. From looking at some of them cornfields out west, I think they're getting more than a hundredfold. I really do. I mean, they are they are knocking them out on their on the way they're able to produce uh, crops now. And so he says, "Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice of service of your faith, Paul says I'm laying my life down, literally, my any potential I have." He says, "I'm as a pastor, I'm just laying it down <clears throat> as a sacrifice." <clears throat> to your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. He was Southern. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. So he says, I joy and you joy. Hence the title, one for all and all for one. Paul says, if you do this, it makes me, it'll make me so happy. It'll make me take those beatings and all that trouble and whatever. I'll rejoice. But if you do it, you're going to rejoice too. So not only would you do it to, to make me happy, he tells the Philippian folks, the people of Philippi. He says, wow. He says, they'll make you happy too. And when you're happy, I'm happy. It's an upward spiral, a spiral that I talk about when people get married. Like my wife and I are in. My wife and I are in a desperate upward spiral. We just about want to leave church early. <laughs> None of you young people believe that. But believe it. My, I'd rather have the kind of love my wife and I have now than I had when I was 20. Somebody say something. It's a higher quality. You 20 sounds cheap love. Oh, Gillespie's, they know what I'm talking about. They got quality love when you got to your place in the game, brother. Quality, Crichton's quality. Not mindless. You know I'm, not, you know I'm kidding you now. But I think if you and I get this, we both benefit. Let me give you four major thoughts out of this passage that I think really have to do with his theme, and I often come back to ending well. I so much want to end well. I so much want to see you end well. And I so much do not want you to be, have a life of regrets because regrets are heavy, 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 heavy. You don't have to end with regrets. You don't have to. Um, ultimately, the first point is being like Jesus. By the way, the context is Jesus, right? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's verse 5, 2, 5. Then he goes to explain the incarnation and then eventual reward that his name will be above every name. And then he jumps right into this. So it has a context. Basically, he says, after all of this, you saw how Christ sacrificed himself for his people. You see that. He says, now do that. Every one of you Christians here, we see, if we see anything in the gospel, we see Christ died for us. We see Christ suffered for us. We see Christ gave himself for us. We see that ultimately he laid everything down. We see Garden of Gethsemane. We see it wasn't easy for him to lay everything down. We see that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood when it came to really giving himself. And, and, and Paul says, imitate it. 
imitate it. As, as God opens doors for you, may your focus in, in this world not to be how you how successful you can be for yourself, but how successful you can be for Christ and his church. Verse 12, know this, no one will work out your salvation for you. Know this. I got four know thises. Know this. No one's going to work your salvation out for you. You're not going to be able to point a finger at any preacher, any deacon, and say, I'm backslid because my preacher did this or the deacons did this. No. The Bible doesn't operate on the principle of blame. You're not going to go anywhere with God. At, where, did, where did Adam and Eve go when they, were, when they were found out that they sinned? You know, this woman you gave me, you know, the serpent, that's not where God's at. God's at, you made a decision, Adam, and you are going to be responsible for that decision. Eve, you made a decision, and you are going to be held responsible for that. Forget Satan. He's, he made a decision, and he's going to be held responsible for his decision. Eve's going to be made responsible. Adam's going to be made responsible. And brother, you and I are not going to be able to point a bunch of fingers at a bunch of people. My mom and dad failed me. My teacher failed me. My society failed me. The fact is that you are responsible to work out your own salvation <clears throat> with fear and trembling. And tonight, you have enough tools and, and, of course, you've had enough tools to work your salvation out. It don't take a lot of tools. I hear so many people want to blame, do the blame game like the Democrats. You must take responsibility for your soul. I always say, if you don't take responsibility, man, who's going to? If you don't care, who's going to care? Philippians 2.12 says, Wherefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed in my presence, now in my absence, work out your own salvation. Paul says you got a pastor, you don't have a pastor. You're still responsible to work out your salvation. Ah. With or without a pastor, with or without leadership, you're still responsible before him to work your own salvation out with fear. By the way, what's your attitude? Well, fear and trembling means you take it real humbly and seriously, no doubt. You take personal responsibility for your spiritual walk. You take it seriously. You make it number one, your priority in your life. But you do it with fear and trembling. In other words, it's going to be, it, it, you can fail. You wouldn't have the spirit of fear and trembling if there wasn't a possibility of you failing, falling on your face, flopping. You can flop. You've seen it. You've seen people flop spiritually. It's easy to fall back. It's easy to get complacent. It's easy to, to end crummy. I think this motivated them to take action with or without the leadership and help themselves. They wanted and could use the leadership, but would go on without it if they had to. Uh, with or without, they were going to live for Jesus with their whole heart. I made that same decision years and years ago. I decided that whatever happened, whoever disappointed me, whoever failed around me, I was just, I was going to, by the grace of God, I wanted to plod through it, overcome it, and be victorious in spite of it. And I've seen all kinds of people fail. And you know it. 
By the way, this made Paul real happy that they were self-standing. Self-standing. That made him happy. Number uh, Verse 13, the second thing I've noticed is know this. God is the one behind all of it. Boy, this passage right here, you can stop and do so much work here. For it is God that worketh in you both to will and do his good pleasure. This is a key verse to not getting bitter at God. I have no idea what's going to happen in your life. I don't even know what's going to happen to me tonight. I don't know. I mean, there were people shooting in my house last night. I thought, I wouldn't be surprised if the bullets started coming through the window. But uh, you never know where I live, what's going to happen. Right, Denny? You don't know. I, call, I called Denny up 1130 at night, got him up out of bed. He has to get up early and go to work. But I said, I'm calling Denny. I thought Denny was drunk. I was there shooting. Of course, he don't drink, but that's good. I didn't know where Denny was. I said, Denny, are you over there shooting? I think that's what I meant. He left the message. I called my brother next door and says, are you over there shooting? I mean, they were going crazy last night, shooting like, you know, 30, 40 rounds. And I thought, man, this place is lighting up out here. <laughs> Maybe we're being invaded. But, uh, you know, we're, we're out after it. I, I, uh, I'm not going to get bitter. You say, Brother Bill, can you say that? I believe if you'll do it in faith, believing with fear and trembling, you're not going to get bitter. You don't do it with arrogance at all. No arrogance. Because, brother, some of the trials that can come upon you are going to be hard. You say, Pastor Bill made me bitter. No, I didn't. You got bitter. Uh, uh, Mike, Mike, Mike tomorrow made me bitter. No, Mike didn't. You got bitter on your own. You don't have to be bitter. Why? For whatever happens to me, it is God that worketh in you. It's God. Well, I lost my leg. Okay, it was God. I lost my arm. It was God. Either he was bringing a temptation or a test upon you to help grow you, or he was disciplining you for some disobedience or something that you had done, something or another. He was going to cause you to have a testimony. Let me say this. We've had missionary women get raped on the field. But that can be used for the glory of God if they don't get bitter. Even something horrendous like that can be used for the glory of God if they don't get bitter at God. And they've done it. They've done it. And help other women that go through those kind of traumas. Yeah. No deacon is going to get me bitter by the grace of God. No member or brother or sister in Christ is going to get me bitter by the grace of God. I hope you too. If they fail, and people do fail, it has to be on them. God is still working today just as much as he's ever worked. Now, you young people, I don't blame you for getting tired, about, tired of being around old folks that always talk about the good old days. These are the good old days. Are you with me? This, ooh, these are the good old days. These are the moments that when these people get old, they're going to talk about, man, we were at gospel. We had this happen, and we all, oh, God was, these are the days. These are the days. God's working. God's working here. Well, I don't see it like I used to. No, but God's still working. You know, Noah didn't see it like he used to, but he kept preaching 120 years, a preacher of righteousness. I don't know, at the end of the whole thing, only eight folks, his wife and he and, and his, and his uh, uh, daughters and sons-in-law, I think it was, and that's it. 
but he was not a failure. But are you going to say Noah was a failure when you see him? I don't think I'd go up to Noah and say, boy, you were the worst independent Baptist I ever knew, only six converts. Seven with your wife. She came because you had to. But I mean, no. Brother, we still see people say we're still seeing God work. We need to just keep going no matter what happens. He said in the last days, the days of Noah. They'll be as the days of Noah. Duh. People say, do you think these are the days of Noah? No, not that bad yet. Not that bad. You can't have a VBS where you got 264 one-time visitors and call it the days of Noah. Days of Noah are going to be, I think, a whole lot worse than this. Why? I think they'll, you think they'll be Christians? Do you think they'll be Christians out there doing soul winning just before Jesus comes? The rapture? Sure they will. But according to Jesus, he said, in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. He says, when I come back to the earth, will I find faith on the earth? What does that say to you? It says it's going to get slim. Well, what about those people that are going to be during that time? Should they just throw their hands up and say, well, we don't have the good old days. I guess we're going to give it up. No. You go to verse 13 and say, for it is God that worketh in you right now at this moment. What to do and to will is good pleasure. I'm not going to go around sucking my thumb saying I wish it was better. I wish it was better. But I'm not going to go around defeatedly. I'm going to say it's God working. He's the one that saves. We're doing it. We're doing all we know to do. I know we can pray more. I know that. We can fast. We can fast more. I don't think I can fast too much more. Down 162 pounds. The doctor already looks at me. Funny. Well, skinny. Verse 14 and 16, know this. Number three, God has a mission for you and me in this dirty place. You know, verse 14 through 16, do all things without murmuring and disputing. I'm going to say, first of all, let me say this. There's three points under these 14 and 16. I'll bring them out quickly. Number one, the mission cannot be done with the wrong attitude. You can't do it. You're not going to be any good to God with the wrong attitude. Don't get complaining and disputing. Now, how about looking for the good and praising it? Amen? You say, well, I see some things about the bus ministry. I don't like, oh, shut up. I mean, you see some things. Of course you see some things that you'd like. Then do better. Get in it. Do better. Hey, you know, every bus captain in here will hope somebody help him. Every driver in here hopes somebody tries to take his seat. Every, everybody in here going soul winning door to door hopes that we have a too big a crowd. Hey, man, come on, help us. Well, I think you can do better. Okay, come on, let's do better. Hey, man, do better. Do all things without murmurs, disputings. You notice what I find through the years? People that complain and gripe about things aren't doing anything. I don't know. People that are out there sweating, they ain't complaining about nothing. They ain't really, they're not, they're not the complainers. They're out there saying, oh, hey, brother, I thank God you guys are showing up and giving it your best shot, and, and hallelujah. I find people sitting back saying, well, I don't, and they're, not, they're sitting back not doing anything. It says there in verse 15, she may be blameless. By the way, when I was to Bob Jones, uh, it was a good experience for me. It was a school for me. One of the things they had in it is a handbook. You had to read it, and on the one page it said, no, griping is not tolerated. Tolerated, man, you remember this. You got kicked out. I said, you got kicked out. I said, you packed your clothes. Somebody escorted you to the bus, and you were gone. You didn't get to stay overnight. 
Uh, they didn't tolerate griping. You didn't tolerate complaining. They just didn't tolerate it. It was one of them things. There was no, you know, in the school, they got a thing in the law. They got a thing called zero tolerance. Zero tolerance means they don't give any little, not the, you, can, you can't carry a small knife to school. You don't carry a big knife. When you don't carry a small knife, why? There's zero tolerance. Zero tolerance is a sobering statement in law. That means no mercy. Bob Jones had that with griping. You, we, but why? They knew it spread like a cancer. It'd get among them dormitory. You know, we had five guys shoved into one room. I mean, we were in there like a can of sardines, man. And, and uh, not everybody, you know, we came from, those boys came from Kentucky. They came from Nebraska. They came from Indiana. They came from different. Well, we had, we had one guy, he, didn't know, he never wore deodorant in his whole life. We had to teach him what deodorant was, honestly. He didn't believe in bathing, but once a week. We thought he should bathe every day. So four of us taught him to bathe every day. And we taught him to put deodorant on. Or we were going to hurt him. In a Christian manner, of course. But we taught him that you don't live to yourself like out when you were in the hills. You're going to live, you're living with us now. And we care about the way you smell. And we care about brushing your teeth. We, we want you to brush your teeth, not because we so much care about your teeth. God can use the worst thing. I believe this with all my heart. God can use the worst thing that can happen to you for his glory if you'll react this way right here. The bitterness and the anger, they create the griping spirit, and God's goal for us is high. He says, I want you blameless and harmless. Wow. Blameless and harmless. Look at that. Blameless and harmless. Without rebuke. Are those big words to you? Wow. Blameless and we're not to be infected. We are not to be infected or infecting others. That's what that's saying. We're not to be infected or infecting others with this griping, complaining spirit. And when you go around, man, 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 you are infected, you're infected. And you are, inf it'd be like you having a bad case of the flu coming over here and breathing, getting about two, three inches from everybody, and, you know, and everybody, and infecting them because you're sick don't mean we all want to be sick. And, uh, you know, that's what it means there. Don't, don't do it. No, that's what it is. When you get bitter, when you get, when you gripe like that, uh, we're in the midst of a bunch of wicked garbage. Yes, we are. This world's not my home. I'm just a passing through. That's correct. But this is an opportunity to shine. Have you looked at it this way? I don't remember which preacher came by here, which evangelist came by here, brought this thought out, but I think it was the most, one of the most profound thoughts I had heard in years and years. Talked about the Internet. A lot of us complain about the access these kids have to the Internet. Amen? They literally can type any thought they have in their mind in, uh, to Siri or Google, and it'll come up. And, and, and YouTube's will come up like this. And people will demonstrate it for you, how to do it, where to do it, when to do it. I mean, it's just there's literally just literally nothing uh, you can think of that you can't put in there. And, and you'll just have these little three, four, five, six, eight, ten minute YouTubes come up uh, and teach you how to do it. And, and, and for the most part, 42% of the Internet has been said is pornographic. So it's a lot of the Internet's used for evil. Not all of it. Oh, my. A lot of it's real good. Helps you do all kinds of stuff. 
that is good, but encourages you can be you can be encouraged to do evil and uh, pick it up. But nevertheless, by the grace of God, and, and if I and if I'm gonna, let me go back here, just a step back here. This pastor said, "This generation with the internet access." may be the greatest generation of Christians we've ever seen. Now, what in the world? Nobody says that. I'm thinking, what? And here's what he said. They have the greatest temptation. Is that right? Tom, when you were a kid, you didn't have that kind of temptation. When I was a kid, I did not have that kind of temptation. But Laylee Moon does, and Micah Moon does. And if they stand for God, Merrick, if you stand for God with this kind of access, that means you really are standing for God. That means you want to stand for God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. In Whereas you shine as a light among them. Because you have the same ability to do evil they do. But you've chosen not to do that evil. And in essence, the darkness and the opportunity for darkness proves your desire to serve the light. Remember, where there's no, there's no test if there's not availability of either of choices. When you die, your tests are over. You understand that? Your tests are over. Your future is sealed. Your freedom of choice is over. And you're going you're gonna to be sealed like the angels of God. And so you can look at this you can gripe and complain about how horrible our, our, our planet is, and you can rage against the darkness, and you can talk about how it's just, but at the moment, Paul's, by the way, Paul was not living in an overjonious age. He was living in an age of slavery that's never been duplicated. He was in a, living in an age of absolute despotism that people were used, literally hung on poles, tarred and feathered and lit up so they could light parties. Uh, there was a degree of, of violence in the Roman Empire that has maybe not been duplicated at any time, not even close to where we're at. Uh, make an M13 look like a, like a bunch of Boy Scouts. And so he knew what he was talking about, about shining as a light in the midst of this wickedness. Now, he didn't probably visualize the Internet. Availability. Accessibility. But this old boy said, if you can live for Jesus in this age of accessibility, guess what? You're a true disciple of Jesus. Glory to God. I got excited about that. Before that, I was kind of bummed out, really bummed out about the whole thing. But now I got to think, well, wait a minute. God's, just, God's using that as a filter to see who's for him and who's not. Oh, interesting. Well, he said that. You know, the Bible says, for John, the whole world lieth in wickedness. I mean, what part about that don't you believe? The whole world lieth in wickedness. That was back in the first century, A.D. It hadn't gotten better. So by living, by holding forth the word of life, as we, as we turn away from the darkness, as we say we don't want any part of that darkness, and in fact, we're going to shine as lights among it, 
Now, on, after we do that, we, we take the Word of God and say, this is the way, walk in it. Here's the Word of God. So what we do in VBS and what we do in door-to-door and what we do in all the stuff we do here is simply hold forth the Word of life. Who is the Word of life? Jesus is the very living Word. We hold Him up and say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. If they want to follow Him, fine. If they don't want to follow Him, that's their choice. But one way or another, we keep holding forth the light. So no matter how bad the thing may get, no matter how dark we may get, you young people just keep holding forth the light, staying away from the evil, making the choice not to expose yourself to it. Because I can tell you and guarantee you'll never be the same if you do. Know this, number four, verse 17 and 18, that we are to be one for all, all for one. And that's what I mentioned before. I joy and rejoice with you all. And he says, do ye joy? You also joy and rejoice with me. Ultimately, a life lived in the manner spoken here by Paul in verses 12 through 18 benefits everybody. It's the best thing you can do for your kids to live for Jesus. Now, some of you young people aren't even married yet, but I, I, I think by the grace of God, ultimately, most of you will get married and hopefully have a whole, whole passel of kids. And those kids, you don't even know them. They don't know you because they haven't been born yet. But if Jesus tarries and they have a bunch of kids, little Brysons, little Bransons, the best thing you can do for them is not have a new house. And there's nothing wrong with that. But not have a new house, new car, and all that. best thing you can do for them is live for Jesus. I'll guarantee the best thing you can do for your grandkids is live for Jesus. It says in the Old Testament a couple times, for those that love me, I'll bless them to the thousandth generation. And we old-timers, are we're hanging our head on that. We're hanging our head on that. We want God to bless our people. The best thing you can do for your wife is live for Jesus. The best thing you can do for the local church here is live for Jesus. The best thing you can do as a member of Gospel Baptist and the and best thing you can do for the pastor of Gospel Baptist, no matter who he is, is to live for Jesus, be an asset. You've heard me say this. So and so, when they walked in the door, it was the best day. It was one of the, it was one of the great days for Gospel Baptists. That's what you want. And that's what you want people to refer to you about. They're going to say when, when I can say this, I'm going to do it. And I'm, I don't know, she she don't want me to do it, but I don't listen to her anyway. It was a great day when Miss Miley walked in here. The only reason I'm doing this, I think she can take it. She won't get puffed out. But it was a great day when, when Miss Miley walked into Gospel Baptist Church. I didn't know all that at that time, but it was a great day when she walked into church. Oh, so many years ago, 30-some years ago, in the 80s sometime, I can't remember when. But it was a good time. She walked into a little Gospel Baptist. She says, is there anything here I can do? Could I teach some children? We had no idea. We had no idea what the blessing was going to happen to Gospel Baptist Church all those years, all those years. Same thing with so many of you here tonight. I could go on and on and on about it was a good day. And that's, you're fulfilling what he says here. You're making your pastor now happy. You're making Pastor McKinney happy. He's not here. You're making V.L. Martin, who was here before me, happy, and he's not here. And the next guy after me, you're going to make happy as you continue to do that. And Because most of all, who guess who you're making, really? You're pleasing God. And when you please God, everything else will work out for you. Boy. I believe you take Pastor Paul's advice here on ending well. Number one, you have to take responsibility for your salvation. Number two, God's the one behind everything that happens in your life. Don't get bitter. 
Number three, God has a mission in the midst of this dirty place for you. And number four, adopt an attitude of one for all and all for one. I'm not here to live for myself. I'm here to live for others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be, that when I live for others, I might live like thee. Let me live from day to day in such a self-forgetting way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer might be for others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Father, help us tonight. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.